Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens would mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yeah Na Passaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And we're joined today by Kelly Weil, who is a reporter for The Daily Beast, covering the conspiracy and extremism beat, and also has an upcoming book about the flat earth. Thanks for joining us, Kelly. Thanks for having me. I guess just to start with, I'm not sure how much flat earth knowledge I should assume on the part of the listeners. I don't know if it's insulting to them to think that they know a lot about the flat earth or very little. So maybe <laughs> what what is the flat earth? Uh, on its most basic level, it's exactly what it sounds like. Flat earthers believe that we do not live on a spinning ball. They think that it is a flat and stationary plane. Most of them think it's encased by an ice wall and a dome, almost like we're living in a, uh, in a big snow globe. Right. And this is a conspiracy theory that seems to have made its way back into the, the broader conspiracy consciousness. Obviously, it's something that people believed a while ago. <laughs> Why has it made such a big comeback? Oh, I mean, short answer is uh, YouTube. <laughs> long answer. It actually, people didn't believe in Flat Earth for a really long time. And the theory kind of emerged as a anti-science theory in around like the 1840s, 1850s, kind of died off. No one cared. It was a bit of a joke. And then, yeah, around 2014, 2015, people started making these videos on YouTube and they were just... Uh, absolute algorithm gold and that's when the theory really took off it seemed to me like a little while ago believing in the flat earth was a more extreme position to take as a conspiracy theorist like because it requires such a huge shift in how you view the world around you is that still the case or is it now maybe something that is a little easier for people to get on board with Wow. I mean, I like to think that Flat Earth is maybe the most extreme thing you can believe because it's such a subversion of basic facts. But on the other hand, you can be a Flat Earther and, how to put it, be pretty congenial and normal. I go to Flat Earth conferences, we get drunk, we have a good time. Where I actually have a bit more trouble are people who believe in things like QAnon, people who believe in overtly anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. And those are a little bit more worrying to me. And now I'm seeing a bit more bleed over between those and Flat Earth. But of its own, I mean, it's a wild conspiracy theory, but it's uh, it's more compatible with sanity than you might imagine. Yeah, because I guess you just have to say, well, 
if the government's lying to me about this, why aren't they? Like, why couldn't they just be lying to me about these photos from NASA? I suppose. Oh yeah, it all starts with like moon landing trutherism, and then they just dig further and further. A lot of it seems to me to be underpinned by religion. Are there secular flat earthers, or is this almost a universally religious thing? It is almost universally religious. I saw a poll on one of the main flat Earth pages a while back asking people's religion, and there were some people answering atheist or secular, but you know that can be anyone. It was a originally a fundamentalist Christian thing. I think it kind of took a little bit of a secular swerve. I met a few Jewish flat earthers a few years ago, and they've stopped going to conferences as far as I can tell. So it's pretty fundamentalist Christian, although it doesn't need to be. Does that imply that there's some antichrist that's foisted this false idea that we're living on a uh, a sphere that's rotating in space? And if so, like who, who stands to gain from furthering this illusion that we're not living on the flat Earth? Oh, man. To your point about Antichrist, I'm just going to repeat the best answer I ever got about this because I typically ask flat earthers, who do you think is doing the lying? And I was at a flat earth flat earth conference in late 2018 talking to a guy who said he was like uh, ex-NASA. And he told me, he thought that Flat Earth was a, a conspiracy theory cooked up by NASA to trick people into believing in outer space, to trick people into believing in aliens, so that when Christ returns from the sky, we think he's an alien and we murder him on sight. That's the most thought out answer I've ever heard. <laughs> A lot of people think it's a government plot to, you know, turn us away from religion, to make us pay for the for space programs, which they think get a lot more money than they do, to trick us into believing a version of the world that's not reality. So a lot of it, they haven't always landed on the real answer. Sometimes they don't want them to land on the real answer because it ends up scapegoating like religious minorities. But it's a sometimes it's a conspiracy theory searching for the conspirators. You, you mentioned QAnon before, which uh, is a conspiracy theory that a few years ago nobody would have expected to possibly be getting any Congress people in uh, just over a month. Do you think anyone in power could ever hold these beliefs? Oh, yeah. Yes. So there is a <clears throat> one of the, unfortunately, several actively campaigning QAnoners. We have someone in, oh, I want to say Delaware, I can't remember, somewhere in uh, in. Uh, New England, who is going to be on the general election ballot. Very long chance of winning. Don't think she's going to win, but she's a QAnon person. And she's also gone on the radio expressing flat earth sympathy. I'm not totally sure how maybe she was just trying to stir the pot, but yeah, she's on record. And there is a, uh, there is a, an avowed flat earth city councilwoman in somewhere in Quebec and Canada. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's out there. It's, you know, people just don't want to say they believe in it. But yeah, there's there's flat earthers in power. Oh, good. I, I mentioned this to you uh, when I pitched you coming on the show that obviously the Earth is a flat plane with a ice wall around it. Presumably, these people are very worried about climate change because what happens when the ice wall melts? Oh, man. You know, they should be worried about that. That That's what I should be doing. I should be going to flat, flat Earth conferences and like really, you know, rallying the troops who've got to do something about climate change. <laughs> No, unfortunately, most of them that I've spoken with do not believe in climate change, sometimes for very like biblical reasons, you know, they think that nothing humans can do can hurt the perfect, you know, God's creation. A lot of them just, you know, plain old conservative climate denialism. Although I will say that the 
best answer I ever heard about climate change from the flat earth uh, circle, so to speak, was um, somebody said that, yes, earth is getting hotter. It's not human's fault. It's hell getting closer to the earth's surface. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of like a nice uh, moral arc to that. But no, they they are completely unconcerned about climate change. They're not convinced it's a uh, real happening thing. The Flat Earth Society did tweet something affirming climate change, but sometimes, again, they're just trying to stir the pot on their Twitter. Is there any connection between this belief system and the extreme right? Because I know there's been several figures in Australia on the extreme right who've, I think, landed upon the Flat Earth theory and then you know, skipped on to other pastures. But I, I wonder beyond the kind of, I guess, Christian fundamentalism, is there any other closely associated belief system associated with uh, flat earthism? Yeah, there is a huge far right problem in flat earth. And I think that's for a few reasons. Some of the aforementioned, you know, fundamentalist Christianity, uh, a lot of folks do tend to skew right wing politically. But then I think uh, a lot of the conspiracy sphere is very anti Semitic. A lot of conspiratorial thought is actually sort of a, fu a function of in group, out group thinking. People who want to feel better about their group turn to scapegoat other groups to, to blame them for the things that cause them to feel uncertainty. So there's a very real kind of fashy element to conspiracy theories, not all of them, certainly. But yeah, there's a, there's a large, unfortunately, Nazi component to Flat Earth. Maybe not large, but larger than, say, uh, a bird watching club or something like that. And it got to the point in my book that I had to differentiate between the different failed uh, neo-Nazi hip-hop Flat Earthers, um, <laughs> because it's actually a genre. It's a uh, the the key line in one of them was um I'll expose the I'll expose the flat earth and Heil Hitler all day. Yeah, that was that was a line that I came across in a flat earther's rap video. So they're around, absolutely. Does, does that imply that the uh, the juggalos have been forced to take a position on the flat earth? Oh no, I didn't even think about I've got to go rewrite the book. And <laughs> <laughs> never never encountered that would not be surprised if there's at least a little overlap. I seem to recall that the Nazis themselves had their own ideas about how the world uh, was constructed. There was something called the ice world theory. Uh, does that any of that get a look in? With uh, uh, the, the flat Earth scene, are we are we talking about Evola? I think yeah, the, there was a this whole field of study in Nazi science that uh, everything was made out of ice. Uh, it was sort of a rejection of you know this Jewish science. Uh, no, so I don't touch on that. But uh, a guy at the most recent flat Earth conference I was at uh, was telling everyone who would listen that Hitler is alive and he's in Antarctica, has you know a flat Earth base there. So um, some strain of that carries on. I'm, I'm not sure about the original science there. In terms of esoteric Nazism, I guess, I, I, well, it could be that I'm simply confused because there's a belief about a flat earth, but there's also beliefs about a hollow earth. Mm -hmm. and, and that's also where, you know, Hitler and the Nazis and various other nasty pasties uh, reside. But then also it's connected to an idea about flying saucers and where they emanate from, which is uh, the idea that they're advanced Nazi technology that's been secreted away somewhere, you know, under the ice caps. Yeah, I, 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 I've I've, yeah. I've heard I've heard the Nazi ice cap thing. The only where that collides with, I think, maybe the most mainstream modern flat Earth thought is that they don't believe in 
outer space at all. There's no flying saucers because there's nothing outside the dome. It's a really just kind of a enclosed world they've got. Does does that mean they would have picketed uh, a film like Iron Sky? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess that's globy propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, as well as writing this book on the flat earth, you also cover the far right and the conspiracy theory beat for the daily beast uh how has it been having that become suddenly more popular oh jesus i mean you know you build up this weird like um this weird lexicon in your mind writing on this beat because for years you know it was kind of a, a niche thing maybe it shouldn't have been niche but you know you know everybody writing on it you know all the uh, the the villains and their handles and all the vocabulary and then suddenly it's everybody's beat and it's i mean it's a very i mean forgetting even the uh the political implications which are dire and terrifying it's been bizarre to see just like a uh, the explosion of knowledge that the public has about like the proud boys or something i mean i just it, it's it, yeah it really it really speaks to just things going downhill here that people even need to know about this stuff. But yeah, it's been busy, that's for sure. So we're about a month out from the US election. Uh, this might be a question with too many answers. Uh, what is worrying you about conspiracy theories as we head into this election? Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, so yeah, there, there's this, um, I mean, it's been running really, if you, the beginning of this was before the 2016 election, Trump trying to sow disinformation and cast doubt on the electoral process, saying that, you know, the Democrats would cheat, that they'd bust in Antifa super soldiers across state lines to vote four times. But we've really seen an acceleration of that in ways that, you know, I, most people didn't even account for. There is a lot of disinformation about how to vote safely. There is now chatter about right-wingers doing poll monitoring operations. In fact, that actually happened at a sensitive Pennsylvania location, I think last weekend uh, for some early voting. Yeah, it's everything that can be done to discredit the results of the election is actively being done. And I think we're heading into a really worrying situation where Come election night, come the day after election night, we could have two different sides declaring two different results. And who do you trust? It's going to be just a, a nightmare. To what extent do you think this is part of a, a, this kind of, I guess, voter suppression, let's call it, uh, part of a, an orchestrated campaign on behalf of the White House? And to what extent do you think it's just a happy coincidence? And I mean, one of the reasons I ask is because you have figures like um, Stephen Miller in the administration who are quite, uh, I guess, extreme or radical. And I wonder what influence those sorts of figures have upon the administration as a whole and um, these sorts of, you know, false claims as well. You know, I think it's both. We have a long tradition of discouraging voting in this country. We have, you know, the Electoral College basically tosses out any liberal advantage. We have just extreme gerrymandering that makes it difficult for people's votes to count proportionally. We have, in some states, people with uh, criminal records can't vote. So there's a lot of voter disenfranchisement already. And that's baked in. That's just, you know, good old-fashioned American racism mostly. But yeah, there's been an accelerated effort, definitely from the Trump campaign. And we've seen that in just 
during this administration, there's been rollbacks of polling locations in inner cities where, um, whereas, you know, more rural, more Trump leaning locations, they just don't experience that. There's been tons of disinformation about the mail-in vote because people don't want to go, you know, stand in a line for eight hours because that's another function of American voting. You just have to stand around and catch COVID now. So there's been deliberate disinformation around mail-in voting. Trump himself saying you don't want to drop your mail-in vote in a mail-in box because you'll get COVID from the mail-in box. I mean, it's... It benefits the current administration for people not to vote. And that's just the disgusting truth of it. So yeah, they're, they're actively out there, you know, pushing that narrative. You are listening to 3CR 8.55am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital on your DAB radio. We're currently talking to Kelly Weil about conspiracy theories. One thing that's, uh, I guess, somewhat unusual perhaps is the fact that uh, Trump seems to have been able to effectively assert hegemony over the Republican Party. And there's, there seems to be very little resistance within the Republicans. And yet we've also seen the emergence, I think it's called the Lincoln Project, which is, I think, ex-Republicans who are now, who've turned against Trump on the basis that he's, you know, gone too far. What's your reading of how much control Trump has over the Republican Party as a whole? I think it's near absolute. I was talking with a social historian recently and kind of on a bleak topic, like, why can't the left win? And he said, the left is kind of inherently fractious. It has a whole bunch of dissenting parts. Everyone wants their specific way, very morally driven. He said the right is cohesive in a way that the left never has been. They will solidify around their candidate. It doesn't matter if we've, you know, oh, we've proved Trump's uh, hypocrisy this time. It doesn't matter. You know, it's, um, it's not really something they're after. They're after winning in a way that unfortunately I feel like the left often isn't. There have been, you know, some dissenting voices on the right. We have the Lincoln project of, I, I think that's a, a, just a vanishingly small demographic. Um, and a lot of Lincoln project people conveniently go into like well-paid, you know, consultant gigs and things like that. You know, there's a lot of people who've left the Trump administration and suddenly have book deals now about why the Trump administration was so bad. <laughs> it's like, buddy, you served there for years. You know, it's, um, I, I'm skeptical of that. I will say I, um, I, I have a Republican family member who's been turned off by the Trump thing, but you know, he was never a hardcore Republican. So there are people, you know, falling off the, uh, off the edge cases, but by and large, it's really been, um, yeah, they've, they've coalesced around Trump and there's very little you can say, I think, to most Republicans to, to sway them. We saw at the 2016 election, uh, disinformation campaigns play a significant role. Uh, what we have now that we didn't have in 2016, of course, is a small disclaimers on posts and things. Uh, do you think that enough has been done to combat disinformation? <sighs> you know, I feel like Facebook is trying to do all these things at the 11th hour. The problem most, in, in my view, the problem with Facebook is that they years ago built a recommendation system that led people down this rabbit hole. There was an internal Facebook report in 2016 on the German far right. And the researcher was saying every person who's in these far right groups did it joining groups down a rabbit hole of more and more extreme groups based on recommendations from earlier groups. This person was saying, this is a problem. We are, our algorithm 
sees that the most engaging content is more extreme. So it's recommending more extreme content. Facebook apparently took no action on that. And, you know, four years later, we have everyone's grandmas convinced that, you know, there's um there's a pedophile network running underground and uh, drinking children's blood and eating their faces. So something went wrong there. Um, <laughs> and, you know, now Facebook's like, oh, whoa, we can't have that. And they put a little fact check tag on it. And it's like, you know, what do you, do you want a cookie? Like, it's, it's just so little, so late. I'd rather they do that than nothing at all. But I mean, eh. At this point, and I'm, I'm not actually a huge fan of taking, of, um, of taking down networks of, you know, of letting Facebook be the censor because I think they're a extremely flawed institution and I really question their judgment. But at this point, I think the best thing they can do is just ban hammer on QAnon. Yeah. It's, but yeah, they, they, they let it run for three plus years now. Yeah, yeah. I, I read an article in I think it was the Atlantic the other day about how Reddit had dealt with the QAnon problem. I was like, mm. we don't they dealt with it, but we don't know how. I, was like, I seem to recall they just banned everyone. Reddit, like, it's so funny. I remember my early days on the internet. Reddit was kind of like known as like kind of MRA trolley, and they've actually they've really cleaned up. Like, rare credit where it's due. They yeah they they just chased them all out facebook and twitter recently announced that they were going to sort of be cracking down on the QAnon thing have you seen that have any sort of material impact on the spread of the theory no no um what unfortunately QAnon is big enough now that it's been able to dilute into less obvious forms so it can still push those core claims about you know torturing children for adrenochrome that Hillary Clinton drinks. And that's not explicitly under the QAnon banner now. It's, you know, you'll see it in, in, in mom groups on Facebook. You'll see it in health groups on Facebook. And again, it, this is even harder for Facebook to ban now, but, you know, it was something that was percolating and had its tentacles out for, again, over three years now. So that's it's pretty hard for it to for them to ban it outright and also they'll ban q language but people will come back and you know slightly misspell q or twitter will ban people and people will come back with the virtually exact same profile and twitter just doesn't know how to ban people if they do ban evasion it's i don't even know what they're spending their money on but you know it's i feel like these were moves sometimes just to appease the journalists on this beat they haven't done very much we're also in about a month's time. We're either going to see Donald Trump return for another four years or we're going to see the Q prophecy fail. Uh, what do you think is going to happen to QAnon if Donald Trump isn't re-elected? I guess also, what do you think will happen if he is re-elected and then can't deliver on you know the promise of locking everyone up? Oh, man. If he can't deliver... The thing is that I don't think QAnon anymore functions as a set of like discrete promises so much as it is almost like a religious zeal. The actual person posting from Q now really isn't that much of a leader in the movement. Funny as that is people, a lot of new Q followers don't really read the Q drops as they come. They are just immersed in this digital culture. So if Trump is reelected and fails to lock up the pedophiles, I don't think that's going to do a drop of difference because I think often the locking up the pedophiles is just an excuse to keep Trump in office, right? And who they really want to lock up, lock up are uh, political dissidents, uh, minorities, immigrants, etc. So 
I don't think they'll really mind. If Trump doesn't win, I mean, this is a really, unfortunately, uh, mobilized base around him. He has these far-right groups that uh, his campaign and law enforcement have effectively deputized. We've seen conspiracy theories work as a really um, fast-moving and effective vector for this kind of information. I, I know you had Jason Wilson on the other week, and he was talking about how disinformation around wildfires has just immediately led to people setting up armed checkpoints in disaster zones, right? Stopping people who they thought were Antifa. So this is going to stick around, I think, regardless of who wins. You wrote recently about uh, this phenomenon of ex-military people diving into the QAnon conspiracy. Do you think that that could be a problem that we have this (laughs) armed contingent? It is a huge problem. Oh, it's so you have a lot of guys had their their glory days in the special forces or what have you, and they're, they've been you know for twenty five years since posting about their AR fifteens and uh, you know how they're really the the protectors of their community. And I think QAnon and this save the children mantra is really powerful to them. You know, the, you see them on Instagram fantasizing about going in and, uh, almost like a bin Laden style raid to free the children from the tunnels. So yeah, that's a big worry. And I think that the first real case study we've seen of this was, was it only last month, but a former Navy SEAL filmed around the scene of someone throwing uh, IEDs at protesters in Portland. They haven't charged the guy. They've announced him as a person of interest and then the case disappears. But yeah, yes, I'm, v- I'm very worried about the extremely armed gung-ho set of people who think they're leading tactical raids on, uh, on pizza parlors. Well, we might have to leave it there for the radio show, but if people would like to hear a few more questions with Kelly, you can check out our podcast, which is at 3cr.org.au slash yeahnapasaran or on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks very much for joining us, Kelly Weil. And uh, where could people find you online? I am on Twitter. It's just my name. It's Kelly Weil. Uh, and I am around at The Daily Beast. Excellent. Global Intifada is up next. We'll catch you next week. You mentioned Save the Children just before. Something that people have been talking about is the way that the QAnon thing sort of detracts or distracts from real child trafficking charities. But I've also sort of found looking at some of these child trafficking charities that some of them are a little bit griftier themselves. What's your, what's your sort of read on that whole thing? Yeah. So this is something I'm still, you know, actively trying to educate myself on because I've, I've heard both of those threads too, you know, as, as legit as they come. Uh, anti-trafficking hotline saying, please stop calling us about Pizzagate. <laughs> like, it's not real. You're wasting our time and our money. That said, I mean, there has always been this very, very strange rhetoric around child trafficking, which, you know, while one of the most heinous things that can exist is kind of rare from all the data that we have, which is, again, kind of limited. Uh, Part of the reason it's limited is because it doesn't really occur the way that the Save the Children people think it's happening with, you know, um, children in tunnels. A lot of people who are trafficked are trafficked by people they know, you know, relatives, things like that. So it's definitely a harder problem to track than this, uh, than this theory wants it to be. 
And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just recalling a couple of years back, I think Cindy McCain, John McCain's wife called, what did she do? She called like airport security because she thought a kid was being trafficked and it was just an interracial family or something like that. I can't remember the details, but yeah, it's always had a, a strange, uh, parlance around it. And it, it's very open to grifters who want to prey on people's well-meaning fears, I think. The other flip side of that, uh, paranoia is it, it seems to express uh, radical uncertainty on the part of many in the US public that there's a desire to understand the world but no readily available means to, to do so and this is where uh, QAnon and other grifters kind of step in. What do you think is the kind of, I mean, what does this say about the general state of US political culture at the moment? Well, conspiracy theories are often a way of, of making meaning when there is not a readily available explanation or to make people feel secure in their lack of understanding. So I think there's definitely something to be said about the insecurity everyone I think is feeling in the US right now. I mean, if you want to take it back a few steps, we have just radical income inequality, uh, just incredible precarity that I think most people in the U.S. feel right now. So that can't help at all. And then there's the very real facts that I think a lot of people don't feel represented by their government. And it feels like a far and away mechanism that doesn't affect them in any way. I mean, that's why we have such low voter turnout in addition to, you know, voter disenfranchisement. So yeah, something like QAnon, I think, which people have compared to almost a role-playing game, it does let people feel more actively involved, like they're helping or that they have agency in a system that often on its face doesn't appear to care about them. In terms of your own reporting on Q and Flat Earth and I guess the extreme right, what are the things that over time you've discovered that you perhaps thought or were surprised to discover through your reportage and your investigations? I mean, so much of it comes back to anti-Semitism. Early on when I was poking around conspiracy theories, some of them I thought were kind of funny, flat earth, I still sometimes get a chuckle out of it. But, you know, doing a lot more historical research these days about who was blamed for what and when. I mean, it, very often you're going to get a minority as a scapegoat, and very often that's the Jews. And when you start recognizing those patterns in modern conspiracy theories, I also think they're escalating in that direction. They get a lot less funny. Someone very recently pointed out that QAnon is basically blood libel, right? You know, it's, it's the, mm. the cabal is, uh, is draining our children's blood and, they're about maybe a quarter step away from identifying an old culprit, I think, a lot of them, you know. So that's, I don't know if that's surprising, you know, maybe someone who had been academically on this for longer than me could have pointed that out earlier. But that's something that in the past two, three years has really clicked with me. And that's something that I now am screaming to the high heavens and uh not sure everyone's listening yet, but that's been a big thing. Do you think Pointing out those kinds of connections, do they have the potential to cause a, a, a moment's thought on on the part of those who are, you know, embracing this theory, or is it because of the implications of this kind of um, anti-Semitic thinking? You might think some would think, well, be a bit more hesitant about fully embracing the cult. Is that how it works, or does it really make no difference? 
I think it sometimes make it, makes a difference. You know, it depends, I think, how far along someone is, um, what they're willing to discard in order to stay with that group. So I mentioned that I go to a lot of flat earth conferences and, um, I'm not personally religious, but you know, my dad was brought up in a Jewish household and I've you know, I've brought that up with some people when I think they're going in that direction. And I found that often face to face communication with someone that they're about to scapegoat, maybe, maybe flips a switch. Maybe they're just being nice to me. I don't know. But I have, you know, in the past when I pointed out, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable with the direction of this. And I have this personal tie to Judaism. People say, Oh, Hey, I'm sorry. That's not what I meant. I don't know how heart- heartfelt that is, but I think it's still worth pointing out. I don't think, you know, I think there's gradations of it. I think people who are early on in this kind of belief can be pulled out, you know, with the right kind of intervention. Um, the other thing about uh, QAnon, I guess, is that it's a highly mediated conspiracy theory. So if, if to the extent that people are more prepared to reassess their views when they come face to face with what they understand is the enemy. That's largely absent in this case. A lot of this conversation, it's not taking place at physical meetings, although we've seen some rallies emerge recently. It's all conducted through online forums. So do you think that the fact that QAnon adherents are beginning to assemble in public, how, how do you think that, you know, does that make any difference to the political dynamic associated with the movement? Yeah, I'm very worried about physical mobilization around this because I, you know, I think it can be co-opted in a lot of ways. I think a lot of the in-person meetups I've seen have been surprisingly younger people than you'd imagine. A lot of them with not, without explicit QAnon slogans, people saying, you know, they're there to save the children. But I think that can, you know, that can be taken from a potentially well-meaning message, um, although misguided, to something a lot more dangerous. And I mentioned a few minutes ago about those checkpoints outside of wildfires. I'm very worried about uh, situations like that where people seize upon a piece of disinformation. They have these networks uh, available now through the Facebook groups they've joined for QAnon or what have you, and they mobilize in a situation that puts people at risk. I'm worried about that happening around uh, um, elections too. People accusing interference someplace and mobilizing to block a polling site or to harass voters. So I do think there is a real risk of that kind of IRL mobilization, definitely. What do you make of Trump's situation? Because as I understand it, Trump is, um, well, not, not possessed of a strong ideology himself. He doesn't have any definite views beyond really, it seems, um, believing in whatever he thinks is best for him. So QAnon has stepped in and provided a kind of ideological framework for his followers to try and make sense of and provide some kind of story about the nature of his rule. And yet at the same time, Trump and his family have been quite happy to indulge QAnon on social media to uh, signal in various ways to their audience that they're on board. I think he said that uh, if it's the case that these people believe that he's stopping satanic pedophiles, well, what's wrong with that? You know, of course, that's something you'd want to do. So what do, what's your take on how Trump approaches this and what do you think are the factors that determine whether or not he's prepared to indulge it or in some other universe, perhaps even denounce it? 
Yeah. You know, it's so funny because maybe two, three hours before we started this call, the Times just dropped about a decade of Trump's uh, tax returns. And they sort of confirmed what a lot of people suspected, that he's deeply in debt, that he's a complete fraud as a businessman, that he pays no taxes, but that he has really been just keeping up this charade for decades, right? Where he's total fraud as a businessman. And the only universe where he can actually really be successful is sort of an alternate universe. It's sort of this myth-making. And I think QAnon really serves as that brand that he's made up. It tells a story about him as a heroic person, as opposed to, you know, this purveyor of terrible uh, resorts and crumbling golf courses who's got 300 million uh, in loans coming up in the next couple of years. Yeah, I really think that QAnon is part of this myth-making that he's always cultivated. And that's really the only framework that he can be any kind of plausible leader under. Uh, so yeah, I think he's very eager to embrace it because it's just the extension of the myth-making that he's always indulged in. Yeah. I guess a different type of conspiracy now, although I suspect that uh, regular conspiracy theories might play a role. You've recently reported on this sort of push for the state to use RICO charges against BLM protesters. Could you explain what that's all about? Yeah, so <laughs> this this is maybe actively the thing that I'm most paranoid about right now. So here's my tinfoil hat, but I think it's a warranted one. Uh, basically, the RICO Act is a um, it's a racketeering act in the U.S. It was meant to go after the mob. So when they couldn't charge a mafia leader like directly for killings because he delegated all his work, they'd go after him by saying you're running a criminal empire. So no, you didn't directly have your signature on any of the things signing off on a hit, but we're going to charge you for your involvement in this large enterprise. So that's what it's for, and it's already overbroad if you ask most legal scholars. What they are now trying to do, because they're looking for a reason to crack down on what is the largest American mass mobilization in history, is they are looking to charge protesters as part of a unified uh, rioting movement. So uh, if you are arrested at a protest, you are viewed as part of a large uh a conspiracy alongside everyone uh, you marched with. If anybody funded you, uh, which uh, the best interpretation that I can find so far is like, you know, tossing a few bucks to a mutual aid fund so that people can have water. I, I presume that's how it's going to work. It is terrifying. It's a complete perversion of the law. It's a uh, just massive dragnet. It's using an already ill-formed law in the most cynical possible way. But I have to point out that it's it's kind of happened before. At Trump's inauguration, there was a protest called J20. It was an anti-fascist block. And using kind of obscure DC law, they argued that everybody marching in or, or around that block was part of a conspiracy based on various anarchist traits. You know, everyone wore black as you do in a block. Uh, you know, people doing unified chants. So they used that to argue that these people were part of a criminal conspiracy. And then it didn't matter if the individual people didn't smash a, you know, a Starbucks window or whatever, that their involvement in the block indicated their 
involvement in the conspiracy. So <laughs> that's what I see. That's what I see coming down the pipeline. And that is, um, yeah, that's my tinfoil hat theory right there. You don't think the, uh, the Proud Boys might be subject to that sort of uh, repression, Kelly? Goodness, you know, they would seem to be applicable under that law, but do, do I see that happening? No. I mean, they're legitimately the Proud Boys were an organization with a lawyer and an incorporation. Then that lawyer got arrested for, it hasn't been proven yet, but allegedly plotting murder. So they're much more of an organization than Antifa, but uh, I don't see those charges coming, no. <laughs> Is the... Uh Antifa is still um, functioning as the uh, bogeyman in the United States ahead of the election. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There is. Um, it's Antifa and anarchists. They've kind of like they've. <laughs> you can see the like the vocabulary wheels just slowly cranking. But I saw a uh, a Trump campaign text a couple of weeks ago, and it was like Antifa alert. Antifa are coming to the suburbs. It's like you are. You couldn't write it any stupider. But it's um. <laughs> Oh, yeah, they're still pushing on that for sure. We're, we're also seeing at the moment uh, with the, the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, there's this uh, large push to get a replacement in before the election. Uh, how do you think that's going to play out? And I guess the other thing is the we're seeing, a, I guess, a large dark money campaign to see that happen. How does the conspiracy theory ecosystem you know, match up against this existing dark money system where these ideas can just be pushed out to the mainstream very easily by these sort of extreme right actors in power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, there were already existing conspiracy theories against Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I wrote about, I think, over a year ago now, the theory that she was dead and being, you know, reanimated as a puppet. So that's very, <laughs> uh, very active. Uh, no love on the far right for her. Trump's pick, Amy Coney Barrett, is a, ugh, that's, that's worrying. <laughs> extremely far right, extremely religious, part of a, a really troubling religious sect, in my opinion. And yeah, there is quite a lot of, uh, dark money activism around her. I can't tell you exactly right now how those two, uh, how, that dark money and the conspiracy world is uh, interacting right now. I've been offline all weekend, middle of the woods. But, I mean, we have seen just really shady funding coalesce with conspiracy theories quite recently this year um, around the the pandemic uh, video that came out arguing that COVID was a hoax. I mean, it tapped into existing conspiracy networks, um, but also had a lot of funding from persons that we're not entirely sure yet. So, I mean, these two sides are very aware of each other, especially, I think, the the money. We've got a family called the Mercers who've funded quite a lot here, um, a lot of known fringe right actors. So, yeah, that that's definitely something that I think folks are going to have to be aware of going forward. Yeah, this, um, this proposed candidate for the Supreme Court, I mean, if... Uh I can be a little fresh because we're on the podcast now. That seems like some Handmaid's Tale shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that sect was like the inspiration for the Handmaid's Tale. Like, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's grim here. It's not, it's not looking so hot. Um, and I, I'm not sure I see how we avoid her. Like, I'm not, I'm not a congressional reporter. I'm not the one with the vote tally, but last I checked, I don't know how we avoid this. So that's a real, Mess come down the pipeline. Speaking of uh, fringe right actors, 
Kelly, have you been following the career of uh, Lauren Southern of late? So she dropped off to uh, to go to school, came back as uh, not far right, but very clearly far right. And I think she had a kid, right? I I just you, yeah, she's you have, um, yeah you. So, she's relocated to Australia. Oh, didn't she get kicked out of Australia a couple of years ago? I think she did. In fact, I can tell you she did. She tried going in on a uh, on a tourist visa and Australia said, "Hey, aren't you you're working here? You're selling tickets to a tour." And she said, "No, I'm I'm a tourist." And they kicked her out. Um, no, that, that that was a road bump. And then they clarified her uh, visa status and she came down and she toured with Stephen Molyneux. <sighs> Good. She was. She wasn't. She was unable to uh, tour New Zealand. However, uh, the tour fell apart at that point. But just recently, she's re-emerged on um, Sky News, which is Australia's answer to Fox. Outstanding. You know, she's always been one of those people. You know, when they talk about like self-care, like you got to look after yourself and keep up your mental strength. I just don't follow her anymore. I'm just like, <laughs> I, I'm just like, that's beyond my threshold. I just had to slide off my radar. She's on Fox or on Sky News now. Wow. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Although recently dropped, like just in the last week from the lineup for the Australian CPAC. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing what happens when people learn that you are renting a boat to uh, block migrant aid ships in the Mediterranean. I think that might have been the reason she got on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but in the States, I guess you've also got figures like uh, Laura Loomer, who um, I guess like QAnon as a whole would have been and was regarded as being quite uh, outrage just a year or two ago, and yet now is, a, you know, a, an endorsed candidate for the Republicans. Yeah, I mean, it kind of going back to one of the first questions you asked about Trump and being a hegemony. I mean, there's no shame anymore. It's just all the, all the quiet parts are loud as possible. Right. Um, I, this is someone who has been banned from every platform. And I think Uber eats for being racist. I'm just, <laughs> just awful. Just, I, I mean, e even in the spicy podcast, I got to play it down a little bit. Like, you know, just not someone who's who's fit to be any kind of public servant and has no place in a race, probably won't win. But, yeah, it's just is there because she represents the base ugly instincts of a party that's just careening toward the edge. Just, I guess, a, a final question. Are all these things like, you know, are these, these uh, indications of an empire in decay? Oh, I mean, in my opinion, absolutely. I mean, I, I guess haven't lived through one of those before, but it's. Um, I mean, it's it's a wreck. I, we have soaring income inequality. We have the only decent or you know anything close to uh, public health care um, that we got passed is crumbling before our eyes. You know, we have. Eroding trust in public institutions, our right to vote is being stripped. As you look at our response to coronavirus, which every other country, even, you know, I know Australians gripe about uh, lockdown in Victoria, but I mean, it's just been, it's been a train wreck here. Um, so it's very hard to 
look at this and see us as any kind of ascendant power. I think it's, uh, I'm not, I mean, we're hurtling towards something, but it's not, um, it's not anything to be proud of. It's a real mess. Well, on that cherry night, uh, I think we'll leave it there. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for joining us, Kelly. Thank you. You've heard about the annexation of Palestinian land, but now join Free Palestine Melbourne and West Bank tour guide Iheb Rafri for a virtual tour of the West Bank. From Jerusalem to Jericho and up the Jordan Valley, see what annexation means to the social and economic life of affected Palestinians and hear directly from local farmers and villagers about what it means for them. The tour will be followed by a Q&A session. The facts on the ground. Annexation from Jerusalem to the Jordan Valley virtual tour. Wednesday the 7th of October at 7.30pm. Register at the events page of fpmelbourne.org. That's fpmelbourne.org. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. The Rainbow Door is a free, culturally safe, specialist helpline for all LGBTIQA Victorians. The helpline provides information, support and referral from experienced peer workers on issues including mental health, family violence, 
relationships, suicide prevention and sexual assault. For information, support and referral, call the Rainbow Door on 1-800-729-367. That's 1-800-729-367, 10am to 6pm every day. Switchboard is a 3CR supporter.